The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, November 9, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. Actually, I'm heading out on a mini vacation this weekend, so it works out that the White Sox don't have any huge news Coming out of the GM meetings, Jim has written about the new White Sox coaching staff on SoxMachine.com, and we all agree with Chris Getz that we don't like this White Sox team right now. However, the Arizona Fall League is wrapping up, and I figured with me out a few days that it would be time well spent to talk about the White Sox prospects and how they are faring down there. Later in the show, Jim Margulis is going to be interviewing White Sox prospect reliever Frazier Ellard, learning about his experience pitching in the White Sox organization down in the affiliates and his time in Arizona. Helping us provide more insight on what's going on down in the Arizona Fall League, especially the top White Sox prospect, Colson Montgomery, one of our best friends of the show. It's MLB.com's Jim Callison. Hello, Jim. Great to chat with you again. Yeah. Uh, how's Arizona been treating you? Good, good. I, it, it's, it's weird. I, I I like coming twice. Some of our guys stay for two weeks. I was here the first week. It feels like I've been away for so long, but I, I'm back for the final week. I got to see the, the Home Run Derby and the Fall Stars game, and now uh, I've got, I guess, what, three days of the regular. I'm actually, when we're done recording this, driving over to Glendale. Uh, to see the White Sox and other prospects in action. And then um, I got two more regular season days and then two days of playoffs. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward. I, I I think I've told you this, maybe not on the podcast <clears throat> per se, but I do think like Arizona Fall League is one of the hidden gems. Like it's, I kind of, my, my, I always tell people who don't know what it is. It's kind of like spring training, but it's all the best parts, none of the worst parts. Tickets are cheap. Parking's easy. You get the run of the ballpark. Easier to interact with players. Um, you know, all the prospects are playing. You know, you're not, you know, it, it it's good stuff. And so anybody who likes spring training, I think, would love the Arizona Fall League. Have you ever been? Have we talked about this? You know, I haven't been to either. <laughs> I, I have know. yet to been to, to Glendale. I know. I, I keep hearing it from our Arizona fans. Like, what are you doing, Josh? Like, come down for a weekend. Uh, I'm going to have to find my way down there. And now, especially since that was a great sales job, I have to find my way down there in November to see the Arizona Fall League. Especially like the weather's starting to get, you know, colder in Chicago and you come down here and it's yeah. it's nice in November. It's not 125,000 degrees in Arizona. <laughs> it's like 78 <laughs> degrees and down to like 58 at night. It's like nice. So, you know, you don't, you don't get boiled like you're on the surface of the sun. But yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I stand by that. Like it, it's just great. So if you enjoy anybody who enjoys spring training, you'll enjoy the fall league and it'll be a lot less expensive too. Before getting to the prospects, we haven't got a chance to speak since the White Sox overhauled their front office, removing Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and having Chris Getz move up to the GM role. What do you think about Getz taking on this new role? And now Josh Barfield who ran player development for the Shockingly, the NL pennant winning Arizona Diamondbacks. Now Barfield 
is joined the White Sox front office to help out with player development. Yeah, I I like the hire. I mean, I like Chris a lot. I think he's sharp. I think I think when he got there, the White Sox, uh, I guess one of our systems were probably uh, I'm trying to use words carefully antiquated. And I think the he got them to be a lot less antiquated. I'm not necessarily saying the White Sox are on the cutting edge, but I think to where the White Sox were before Chris was there, to where they were when he got promoted, is significantly different. I feel bad for Chris in a way because through no fault of his own, he took a lot of abuse. Like, how could the White Sox hire this guy? They didn't talk to anybody outside the organization. Like, you know, same old Ryan story. I mean, you heard that a lot. And I don't think that's fair to Chris. I, I do think he's a sharp, you know, rising executive. Um, and, you know, and I, I think people in baseball like Chris, I think the fans were kind of like, what are we doing here? And, you know, Reinsdorf citing Connie Mack and Branch Rickey wasn't really inspiring people with what the search process was. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I think Chris is pretty well, well respected. Um and and I like Chris. Like I said, I, I do kind of feel bad because I think he just got hammered, you know, by fans and and somewhat in the media when it wasn't his fault. And like, if they offer you the job, how are you? You're not going to turn that down, right? No, you know, like I, I mean, like you know, and he and he, I mean, I I will buy to some extent. I don't think it should have been maybe the only qualification that Chris knows the organization better, so it'll take him less time to get up and running. But I, I think White Sox fans should be really enthused about the people they're bringing in. Josh Barfield, like you mentioned, kind of, I guess, will slide into what Chris's role was, like assistant GM kind of overseeing talent acquisition and, and player development. And, and Josh has a really good reputation. I think Brian Bannister, they brought in to oversee pitching, has a very good reputation of being extremely, extremely knowledgeable about pitching. Um, and frankly, I mean, look, I mean, the White Sox, we've talked about a lot. A lot of their big name pitching prospects haven't developed well, you know. And you can go chicken versus egg: is it the pitchers, is it the development? But I think Brian Bannister will help on both ends. Um, and then you know Paul Yanish, I've heard good things about. You know, he's going to come in and be the farm director. Gene Watson's a veteran, so I think that should be encouraging. That it wasn't just okay. We promoted Chris, and business as usual. Like they're bringing in some outside voices who were pretty well respected. So. I think that bodes well too. So, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I it's I, I'm I'm curious to see what Chris will do. I, I don't think you or I, Josh, uh, feels like it's going to be like a one year turnaround. They're going to be contending in 2024. <laughs> um, but you know, we'll see. It, it's going to take a couple of years. But like, I, I do think, I, I think I, I feel good for Chris. I, I was happy for Chris. I have a lot of respect for Chris. I don't know if you've ever had him on your podcast or probably talk to him at some point i think he's really sharp and i hope i hope all the people who were angry that the white Sox promoted from within at least give him a chance to show what he can do and it's not going to be a one-year fix i don't think no we we don't think it's going to be a one-year fix either jerry reinsdorf would love it to be a one-year fix uh but we'll we'll see and what happens this upcoming off season for the arizona fall league in the past couple of years we have to admit at Sox Machine, we pay attention, but not close attention because Jim and I have looked at the prospects and be like, well, the White Sox are not sending their best uh, to the Arizona Fall League. That's different this year, especially with Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos. Is this collection of White Sox prospects the best you've seen in a while at the Arizona Fall League? Probably. I mean, I won't claim I've gone back and done the research, but they've got, I think they have, is it eight guys out here? Now, everybody had to send an extra pitcher this year. Every team sent five pitchers, so there's 25 pitchers on every AFL team, which is kind of insane. But uh, And they're all they're all scheduled out. It's not like the manager's like, okay, who should I use today? We're going to play matchups. Um, yeah, I, I think it has to be. I mean, like one, Colson Montgomery is pro- – I, I can't think of the last time the White Sox had a prospect ranked as high as Colson Montgomery who they sent to the Fall League. Um, and he's the highest ranked prospect out here. He's number 17 on our top 100. I'm, I'm hoping we get Noah Schultz next year. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think it has to be, you know, and they have, like I said, five of the eight guys are in every one of their three position players are top 20 guys. So yeah, it probably is their strongest contingent. And, and I agree too. Like you don't, the fall league's great. 
and it matters. And I like the fall league. And we're going to start talking about individual players. You kind of have to take performances with a grain of salt because the hitting's always so far ahead of the pitching. And I think even it seems like more so this year. So like even when guys go off, it's like, well, like who's really pitching out there? Because the, the, the issue is if your guy had a fully healthy season, you aren't you – know, he's hit his innings limit, and you aren't going to send him to the fall league. Like each team sends like one guy who's going to be in the starter, and then I guess one team has two guys or they split it up somehow. You know, and for the White Sox, it was Jake Eater who missed some time this year. So like he had innings to go. But, you know, if Jake Eater hadn't had the foot injury – at the beginning of the year when he was still the Marlins, we wouldn't have Jake Eater out here. And the relievers generally tend to be – it's weird. Like, you don't want to – if you have a guy you might not protect on the 40-man roster, maybe you send him here to see if you want to protect him, but maybe you don't send him here because you don't want other teams to see him. So the relievers tend to be more of a motley crew. Got it. So with, let's start with Colson Montgomery because he's grabbing the headlines. He just hit a home run. During the Fall Stars game, he won the MVP, which is cool. Montgomery has 20 RBIs and 19 Arizona Fall League games, which is good. But I can also see, Jim, some White Sox fans looking at a slash line of a 244 batting average, a 302 on base percentage, and slugging just 423, and ask the question, okay, is he actually doing well offensively, or is he just coming up with big hits and... <laughs> With those big hits, they generate a lot of RBIs. From what you have seen, where is Montgomery's progress at the plate? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. He did not do much when I was here the first week. He did not do a whole lot. And I haven't been on him, but I've been monitoring from afar. And and you're right, he was MVP of the All-Star game. Hit a home run, had two hits. Um, You know, it's funny. Jonathan Mayo and I were talking on our podcast today, which we recorded today, about him as well. And Jonathan had spoken to him after I left. And, you know, one of the things... I think that's been a pleasant surprise about Colson, who's – I think I've said this before on your, on your podcast, Josh. It's always good when you take – a guy's highly touted or first-round pick, and he's better than you thought. Like, like, like you know the guy's good, and you're like and – I, and I was going to say that, you know, Colson, I think, is, is – you know, we knew he was athletic. He's got a better chance to play shortstop than I think we gave – you know, it's easy to go, oh, he's 6'3", 6'4", he's going to have to move. I think people are more confident – that he has, he has a better chance to take a shortstop than he realized. But, but I know just trying to internally and externally to the White Sox, like he makes really good swing decisions and he controls the strike zone well. And I think, I don't, I don't have the numbers, but I think he has many walks as strikeouts this year. Now, if you look in the fall league, that's not the case. He has 25 strikeouts and six walks. But Jonathan Mayo, who I work with, was talking to him. And Colson said, like, this is, they play games and they keep scoring. They'll declare champion. But it's essentially a developmental league. It's sort of like spring training. And Colson, who has very good swing decisions as a patient, was working on being more aggressive and attacking pitches early in the count. So I think he got to a slow start, and then he's kind of found more of a happy medium uh, since then. So I know I was saying before, there's no pitching in the league. And so White Sox fans are like, what do you mean? He's got 725 ops, and there's no pitching in the league. Like, what does that mean? I I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, and he, he looks very comfortable. Um, I'll see him in – I hope he's in the lineup today. I'll see him in a couple hours. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't – even if guys' stats are really good or really bad, I, I wouldn't read too much of them. Like, the guy who Colson Montgomery gets compared to all the time, Corey Seager. Like, everybody does it. I mean, can't stop. I remember Corey Seager, it's like I, he was younger, but his first full year in pro ball, Corey Seager was in single A. And then they, the Dodgers pushed him to high A for, like, the final month or six weeks of the season. And it was a little bit much for him. And then it sent him to the fall league in his first full season, and he looked exhausted. And I don't have his numbers here. I don't even know if Corey Seager hit 200 in the fall league. But, like, you wouldn't look at those stats and go, oh, man, Corey Seager. It was just like, ah, he's exhausted. He's super young. He's played way more games. And then he actually came back the next year and was one of the better players in the league. But um, so, anyway, a long way of me babbling and saying, you look at the stats and you try to parse some meaning out of them. But it's a small enough sample size, too, where I just wouldn't read too much i would rely more on your scouting reports on guys before you saw them in the fall league than uh than here like i still like colson montgomery as much as ever i've got to work on a top it'll be 25 or 30 fall league prospects list and i haven't started but like i think there's a good chance he's still gonna be number one even though he doesn't have you know 
James Triantos of the Cubs has like a 1300 ops. And I like James Triantos, but James Triantos is not a better prospect than Colson. There have been some scouting reports during the regular season questioning Montgomery's defensive ability at shortstop, where the question is when he continues to move up, obviously the speed of the game gets quicker and there's some concern that he won't be able to stick defensively at shortstop. When you have watched him defensively, do you agree with those scouting reports? Do you think that Montgomery still has a shot to stick at short? I do think he has a shot to stick at short. I would take any reports from this year, a little bit of grain of salt because he had oblique and back issues. So like, I mean, granted, they took their time and he was probably 100%, but like, still, it wasn't like he was perfectly healthy all year. Um, the, the way I look at it is, I think he's probably, if you were trying to, you know, if you're, I, I think he could be an average big league shortstop. Now, the the caveat to that is most teams want a better than average defender at shortstop. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think he's easily average. You could say solid. I think we have him graded as a 55 on his report right now, but he's like a 50-55 shortstop. And so I, I think he does have a chance. Like, I honestly think it's one of those, it depends on who else is on the team. You know, like, and it could also be a situation where he comes up and plays shortstop for a couple of years. And then they eventually slide him over to to third base. You know, but it, it all depends on on you know how guys develop and and that type of thing. Now moving over to Brian Ramos, I'll be honest about Ramos. I was on the fence about him entering the season, but every time I've gotten a chance to watch him late in spring training and then in Birmingham, like I didn't know if he could really stick at third base, but defensively. I've come away impressed. He's hitting really well in Arizona. He's got a 280 batting average, 349 on base, and slugging 467. And he just hit a walk-off grand slam. And what better time to hit a walk-off grand slam than in front of all the White Sox executives that were holding team meetings in Glendale, including new GM Chris Getz. Is Ramos impressing other folks in Arizona? Could his stock be on the rise and potentially follow Montgomery, in which the White Sox are hoping that Montgomery could reach the majors in 2024 at some point? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, I, I think with, with Brian, you know, two years ago, you know, it, it, I feel like if he had been luckier, he'd be a, more, a little bit more highly regarded prospect. He lost what might have been his first full season to the pandemic. And then the next year in 2021, I want, was it, a, I don't get an injury. I want to say it was a shoulder injury. And so it kind of really limited him defensively. And they played him a lot at second, in addition to third, because trying to relieve pressure on his shoulder. And then he was healthy last year. And then he, this year he was hurt again. And he, he only played 81 games. I think he's one of the better hitters in the system. I think he's got a chance to be at least average, maybe solid in terms of hitting for average, in terms of hitting for power. But I'm with you, like, I, I'm more confident that Colson Montgomery can play shortstop in the big leagues than I am that Brian Ramos can play third. But I do have Brian Ramos as an average guy. Like, I think he will, you know, it's like if Colson needs to move over to third, then they'll find another spot for, for Ramos. But I do think he has worked to become better defensively. I don't think he's going to be a gold glover, but could you play him at third base in the big leagues and he'd be fine? Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. He's I don't think he'd be a liability there. Okay, that is good news. Uh, the White Sox need outfield help as well. And Jacob Burke has been solid in Arizona. He's been solid during the regular season. I think for most of us that follow the White Sox, we're still catching up and learning what Burke can do on the baseball diamond, Jim. And like I mentioned, the White Sox really could use some outfield depth, especially there's been a drop in confidence in Oscar Colas from what everybody saw in the major leagues this past season. Is Burke someone on that radar as possibly being fast-tracked through the White Sox minor leagues? I think I think he was, you know, a good pick for a guy they took in the 11th round, and he had a good year. He was a little bit old for low A, um, not super young for high A, but he went out and performed. I think he's a fourth outfielder. I, I don't – I mean – We'll see how how quickly he moves. I think is going to be predicated on what he looks like in Double A to start next year. I mean, he he missed some time this year too. Played really well at Canapolis. He got to Winston Salem. He hit two eighty, but with like not much power. And I think he's he's kind of like that tweener profile where he's 
It's hit over power. He's a solid runner. He's probably an average center fielder, a little bit better than that in the corners, but he doesn't have corner power. I, I just think he's more on a on a good team. Like when you're a contender, I th- I think Jacob Burke is more like your fourth outfielder. He can play all three outfield spots, but I just don't think – I think he has hitting ability. I don't think it's a lot of impact hitting ability. Um, so, I mean, you know, look, if he goes to double A and he impacts the ball more, then he'll move pretty quick. But right now for me, you know, slugging 394 in, in double A and seeing him out here again, I respect him. And like, he's good. You need guys like Jacob Burke on your big league club, mm-hmm. but I really think he's more useful as a fourth outfielder than as a, you know, right-handed hitting everyday guy. Usually if you're a right-handed hitting outfielder, you're doing a lot of damage. Um, and I just don't think that's quite his game. So moving over to the pitching side, you mentioned Jake Eater. As Eater was acquired in the Jake Berger trade, White Sox fans are not liking that trade right now, Jim. And I feel bad for Jake Eater because the the impact that Jake Berger had, like immediately in Miami, and they have so much team control, the Marlins do on Jake Berger. Like, poor Jake Eater. You have to pan out, man, because <laughs> if you don't, it's not your fault. I mean, everyone's angry at Kenny Williams for pulling the trigger on that trade, but you are what the White Sox got, so let's see what you've got. And there's going to be need for starting pitching for the White Sox in 2024. We mentioned it many times on our show, like they need two or three pitchers just to fill out a five-man rotation this offseason. And as you know, Jim, you need like eight to ten starters just to get through a 162-game season. How has Eater looked to you when you've seen him in Arizona? Um, saw him for an inning in the Fall Stars game. I saw him the first week of the season. He pitched pretty well. You know, it's funny. Like, you know, I, I love the Missouri State program. We've talked about Jake Berger a lot over the years. Um, you got to root for Jake Berger coming back from the torn, you know, the two torn Achilles. And all that said, I would have made that trade too. And here's why. Jake was 27 this year. And yeah, there's team control. And I know he played great. He hit 300 while he was in Miami. When he was in Chicago, he was in for power. He hit 214. He had a 280 on base percentage. His on base percentage for his career in Chicago was under 300. And as much as I like Jake, respect him, and really like the Missouri State program, I think he's a one tool guy. I think he's got power. I don't think he's going to hit for average. Don't think he's going to get on base. He's not a good defender. He's. Frankly, if you're being realistic, probably a DH. And I think they sold high on Jake Brook. And I know Jake, you know, Jake went out and he hit 300 and, and continued to hit for power and so made it look worse. And Jake Eater not really helping White Sox fans feel better because what was his ERA in Birmingham? Like 11? Yeah, um, it was high. <laughs> so everybody's just like, what just happened here? Um, but I like Jake Eater, and here's why. So Jake Eater was drafted in the pandemic, drafted out of Vanderbilt. Next year in 21, they sent him straight to double A, which is really aggressive. He was he had some success at Vanderbilt. He had a three-inning save in the championship game, the College World Series. But he's always one of these guys like stuff, but he was inconsistent and he didn't always have a firm grasp on a rotation spot at Vanderbilt. He went to double A and he pitched great. And I remember talking to a scout in the middle of summer who caveat and the scout did not see every pitcher in the minor leagues. The scout told me the best pitcher I've seen in the minor leagues this year is Jake Eater. Like, he was great. And then he blew out his elbow and had Tommy John surgery, like, in August. And so he missed all of 22. And then this year, when he was going to open the season, he's ready to go. He, I think it was a fracture in his foot. He, he had a foot injury that kept him out longer. And I think this year has really been more about getting him on the mound, getting him acclimated, keep it, you know, make sure he's healthy. But, when Jay, I, I, you know, next year we'll see. I think we're going to get – you take training wheels off. He'll be, you know, fully healthy. The Tommy John will be, I guess, three years behind him at that point. But, I mean, he's a, ch- he's a lefty. He's a chance to have plus f- fastball, plus slider, flashes a changeup. When he's on, he throws strikes. And it's hard to trade for guys like that. And, and frankly, I think they were, like, White Sox fans, they'll probably, like, not believe me. But like I said, I would make that trade every time. I think they're so high on Jake Berger, and I like Jake Berger. I actually – I get if you're the Marlins and you've only been to two non-pandemic playoffs in your entire existence, you know, you're, you're trying to bring some power in. But, I mean, frankly, like, I think the Marlins are going to regret that trade. I mean, they were 
based on their performance on the field, should have been like a 75-win team. And they were exceedingly fortunate in one-run games. And But their true performance is they're a 75-win team. Their pitching's beat up for next year. Alcantara is going to be out the whole year. And the farm system's really thin. So, like, they need guys like Jake Eater going forward. But I think they basically went all in to get knocked out in the wild card round. And I think they're going to be not very good for a while. Um, and I think they're going to miss Jake Eater. Um, and out of the White Sox, you know, by the time the White Sox are realistically ready to contend, Jake Eater's, I mean, Jake Eater, Jake Berger's going to be 29 or 30. And as much as I like him, I mean, how many power, high power, ultra low on base guys do the White Sox have? I mean, they have way too many of those guys. And again, I like Jake, but he's, you know, ideally, I think if you were like ideal position, Jake would be your DH. So, um, yeah, like I, 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 I would make that trade. So White Sox fans can yell at me as well as Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. But I, I would have made that trade too. And I, and I like Jake Berger, but I would have made that trade. On the relief side, someone that's caught my attention is Jordan Leisure, which the White Sox acquired uh, from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he's posting impressive numbers. 13 strikeouts to just two walks. He's only allowed two hits. Again, small sample size. It's eight innings of work. But he also flashed when he was with the Charlotte Knights in AAA. And again, the White Sox have a need on the 26-man roster. They could use a couple more guys in the bullpen for this upcoming season. Is Leisure pitching well enough to merit a conversation of him possibly being on the White Sox opening day roster, Jim? Maybe. I mean, you know, that that question always comes down to, two. you know, service time. I mean, the White Sox aren't going to contend. If it were me, again, I mean, he's looked great out here. He, he looked great in the Fall Stars game. He's barely pitched above Double A. He wasn't super sharp at Charlotte. I'd probably, I mean, again, it depends on who they have in camp, obviously, too. Like, ideally, I think you give him some AAA time, but I think we'll see him at some point next year. And, and he's interesting, too. I mean, Another Dodgers development success story. 14th round pick is a fifth year senior. He'd had Tommy John at, at Tampa Division II school. And, he, you know, Dodgers helped him improve his velocity, helped him improve the shape of his fastball. So now he's like 96 to 98, reaching triple digits. He's got a low release height with plenty of extension. So it gets on hitters like super fast. He's got a I think the big thing for him, and this, this is probably what I would do um, if uh, if it were up to me. I think it comes down to how consistent is he throwing strikes and with his slider. Like when his slider's on, it's upper 80s, it's two-plane depth, and it's hard to hit. But it's it's still pretty inconsistent. So you can get a plus slider or you can get a below-average slider. And I think – I do think with pitchers, like when, when stuff's stuff and it should play. So like if you – to me, I guess I, I'm now answering my own questions. I think through this, Josh, when he shows me he can throw enough strikes and the slider is pretty, you know, gets more consistent, whether that's spring training or, or June, that's what I'm calling him up. But he he does have that potential because it's 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 really good stuff. We are not expecting the White Sox to trade a lot of their farm system in this upcoming off season. Are you feeling better about the White Sox farm system entering the offseason? And then, of course, as we get deeper to the offseason, going to spring training. I mean, yes. I mean, the White Sox system had slid towards the bottom of baseball. And then between – I like their draft. They had some depth to their draft. And then they were – we'll trade any veteran to get prospects. And, you know, it's fun. Like, I think we talked after the trade deadline. Maybe we did. I, I did a bunch of White Sox interviews. Maybe we maybe I can't remember. But they were they they were in a good position. I mean, I'm not saying I mean Rick and Kenny got fired for a reason, but I thought I liked the trades they made, you know, kind of their final act, you know, run the franchise. But like you had an Angels team that was desperate. And I think I, I don't think Carol and Kai Bush are gonna be cornerstones, but like I would make that trade with the Angels every time. And they got Jordan Leisure and Nick Destrini, who I like for Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Like, okay, like I'll do that. I just told you, like, I think they sold high and bought low on Jake Eater, you know, by selling Jake Berger. So I, I like those trades. So I, I think 
their system looks a lot deeper than it did in June. Like I don't have the numbers for him, but I want to say of our top 20 prospects on our list right now, 10 of them weren't in the organization before July. Um, And so if you took those off, you'd be like, Ooh, it's a little bit thin here, but like, so they did at depth. Now the, 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 the catch with that is a lot, like all the draft guys, there might be six or seven of them on our top 30. Now I haven't really played much pro ball yet. And once they do like, like right now they're all shiny new toys next year. Some of them aren't going to be shiny new toys. And like right now, just everybody has upside because you haven't really seen them. So we'll see. But I, I do think they are in a in a better spot than they were, um, I guess, five months ago from when we're talking. You know, that said, they've got, I guess, three top 100 prospects. And I, I look, I think Colson Montgomery is – I don't think people realize how good Colson Montgomery is, like outside of White Sox fandom, because he, he didn't have you – know, he didn't play full season. He didn't hit 30 home runs. Like Colson Montgomery, if you told me he hit 35 homers and Myers next season, especially Charlotte, like, I mean, he'd be up in Chicago pride, but like, I don't think people realize how good he is. And I don't think people, for some reason, because he missed time, like Noah Schultz, we could be talking about a year from now, is like one of the three to five best pitching prospects in baseball. Like, he's got that kind of upside. You know, Cuero, we'll, I, I'm not, I, I like Cuero. I'm not the biggest Edgar Cuero fanatic, although I don't think the Angels' policy of sending everybody double A him any favors like so I, I think he needs to catch his breath a little bit and, you know and, and and we'll see but um yeah i mean i'd be i i know because i hear i mean living in chicago i hear from white Sox fans i don't know the white Sox fans are optimistic right now but i do think you know okay windows closed we're moving on and they have added a bunch of talent you know now i think it's going to be developing that talent you know i think gonzalez I mean, that's not because awesome. Montgomery and Schultz are potential impact guys. They need to find some more impact guys. Um, you know, because I, I think the guys behind them, they have a lot of guys who could be solid players. But like if we're talking ace at the front of rotation, guy bat in the middle of the lineup, right now it looks like two guys. Well, you could read more about the upcoming MLB draft on MLB.com slash pipeline. In the prospects, as Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayos wrote about that, as fingers crossed for the White Sox down in Nashville when they have the MLB draft lottery, the White Sox have a top five pick in next year's draft to possibly find more impact talent to add to their farm system. But you can follow Jim on Twitter. He's at Jim Callis MLB. Also listen to the MLB Pipeline podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's one of my favorites because Jim and Jonathan Mayo have great back and forth conversations about the game's top prospects. And they also get an opportunity to interview those prospects again. In fact, Josh, I, do we have Colson? Do we have Colson Montgomery on last? We've had, I'm trying to think. I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to interrupt. I was thinking we had Colson Montgomery. It's Terry Ford this week, but we've had Colson Montgomery on in the last couple of weeks. Yes. So people can go find that in our archives. And listen to Colson Montgomery speak. Yes. So again, MLB Pipeline Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Jim, enjoy the Arizona sun, and thanks for coming back on the Sox Machine Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for plugging in our podcast without me even asking. And I'm going to ask you, because I haven't committed to memory yet, where, what do the odds say about the White Sox? Right now, if we had no lottery, where would their pick fall? Uh, you know? Fingers crossed fourth. <laughs> that's Ooh. that's where uh the tankathon mob has become very popular for white Sox I, fans. I, I play with that all the time yeah yep. <laughs> i think it's gonna be so. a useful tool for mock drafts coming up but right now if if the lottery favors the white Sox, they should be fourth with an with an outside chance of being the top three but we'll see on how the uh, lottery works out well before i leave you i'm gonna hit the, the tankathon button here so here we go Simulating. Oh, White Sox got the number one pick. All right. Nice. Uh, the White Sox got the number one pick and uh, no, but p- poor Oakland. <laughs> Oakland dropped from one to seven. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, the White Sox, I, I, so you heard it first. White Sox are going to have the number one pick. So. All right. I, I, I like to hear that. <laughs> Again, thanks for having, thanks for coming on, Jim. Thanks for having me, Josh. Thank you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Arizona Fall League wraps up this week, and by and large, it's been a pretty successful one for the White Sox. Colson Montgomery won the Fall Stars game MVP, Brian Ramos started drawing walks, and Jordan Leisure is establishing an inside track to one of the many vacancies in the White Sox bullpen. Pound for pound, though, Frazier Ellard might be having the best fall season of them all. An eighth-round pick out of Liberty University in 2021, Frazier got the assignment to pitch in the AFL to make up for lost time as he'd battled a few different injuries over the first half of the season. What could have been a tough year is ending on a high note as he's allowed just two runs and one walk over eight innings while striking out 12. If you're not familiar with Frazier, you'd have your reasons. He was a senior signing out of Liberty whose performances hadn't stood out in the bullpens he'd been a part of, and then he only pitched about half a season this year. That said, he's gained a few ticks of velocity, so now he's the lefty who sits in the mid-90s and keeps the ball in the yard. Given the wide-open pitching picture for the White Sox, that's a profile that can't be counted out, especially if this newfound command hangs around. I wanted to learn more about Frazier myself, so I was happy to have the opportunity to hop on Zoom and talk to him about what's been a really promising last month. I enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you will too. Frazier, thanks for joining the Sox Machine podcast. Before we begin, I was looking up uh, some info on your season. I saw that you celebrated a birthday this week, uh, turning 26. So first of all, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Also worth celebrating is your Arizona Fall League season. Uh, Checking the box scores throughout the week just seems like one good inning after another to... uh, uh, with about one week to go in the season, you're up to eight games, eight innings, eight hits, uh, two runs, one walk, 12 strikeouts. Do you feel as good as the box scores look? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it's been nice to have my feet under me a little bit, uh, come off some injuries and feel like I'm really hitting my stride. So uh, honestly, a little bummed that it's coming to an end. <laughs> so, Yeah, I was, uh, you know, when it comes to Arizona Fall League and pitchers participating, it's usually because guys have missed time during the season. It's a way to catch up with games and innings. And I saw you missed uh, some time in April, June, and then a little bit of August. Uh, What was uh, what was holding you back? Was it all the same thing or was it a variety of uh, issues? Yeah, it was kind of just a hodgepodge. So at the beginning of the season, I just had some bone spurs in my elbow that were causing me some trouble. So rehabbed through that and got out a little later, um, kind of just got after it, really wanted to, you know, perform and then felt a little bit of something in my shoulder. I didn't really speak of when I showed up. Uh, and then that put me out for a, a decent bit of time, had to go back to Arizona for that. And that was just a, a little bit of a strain, um, or not a strain, just like a, a tweak. And then, yeah, in August, just tweaked my back. It's something that's relatively consistent for me. And it just was kind of a bad, bad tweak there. And, um, unfortunately missed time for that too. So 
just three, three different little things that none of them are too serious and feeling good now. So, so no, nothing uh, structural then just all. Muscle. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Um, when it comes to the Arizona fall league, one thing I've always been curious about when it comes to who the team selects to go since roster spots are limited, how does it work in terms of, does the team approach you and say, Hey, we're thinking about it. Do they approach you and say, Hey, you're going, uh, do you suggest it? Like, how does it work? Uh, for like the give and take and how much runway do you have? Do you know that your season's going to be lasting a month longer? Yeah. So for me, they actually pulled me and Addison coffee in at the same time. They said, Hey, congrats. You're, you're going to the fall league. We're not exactly sure all the dates and stuff, but they told us about, I think a little over a month before the end of the season. So we had a decent bit of time to prepare and, you know, make plans and things like that. Um, I think it probably differs guy to guy in terms of if it's a, uh, Hey, do you want to, or Hey, you should, um, mm-hmm. for me, I was, I kind of just jumped at it cause I really want to get some more innings, get some more time under my feet. So. Okay. Um, yeah, it was funny. I was looking at your, yeah, I saw you pitch a couple times in Birmingham and then I looked at your numbers cause I hadn't looked at them. And I saw you had a 7.45 ERA and thought like, that's odd. You know, like that doesn't strike me as the guy I watched. And sure enough, you had some like just big uh, kind of blow up outings that kind of blew up the ERA. And then you had some stretches that were, you know, far better than that. So uh, to me, you know, looking at the lines, it looked like you ran hot and cold a little bit. Uh, I guess before I ask a follow-up question, I'll ask, is that an accurate assessment or is it just happened to be the way the season fell this year? Uh, no, I think I'd probably agree with that. Um, it's, it's really interesting as a reliever, you know, you, your numbers can get skewed really quickly. One outing can affect your month. It can affect your year. And so, yeah, unfortunately, um, for two or three outings this year, just did not do a great job of limiting the damage and trying to condense that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's accurate assessment. Okay. Uh, when, when you're going well, what does that look like uh, both to you and like, what would it look like to somebody watching you in terms of like where are your pitches going? You know, what, how are you sequencing them? Uh, what kind of, you know, if you want to get into numbers too, cause our uh, audience uh, skews towards the analytical in terms of like, if you're looking at miles per hour, spin rates, uh, inches of drop or carry, what have you. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing for me, where where things are going really well versus when they have a higher chance of derailing is definitely just getting ahead of guys early in the count. Um, usually if I, if I can get a guy, Oh, one, one, two, 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 even, um, versus like starting them off like one Oh, two Oh it as, as someone that's already a relatively uncomfortable at bat for a lot of guys being a funky lefty, you know, I'm throwing way on the far side of the rubber. If I can go ahead and establish a strike, um, within the first two pitches, it's kind of a game changer in terms of how comfortable they are in that bats. So that's probably number one for sure. I would say the next thing too, is being able to land my off speed pitches. So, um, the, actually the fall league has been kind of a game changer for this. We, I used to throw in this past season, I was throwing a sinker four seam and a slider. And for whatever reason, the sinker was just getting hit pretty hard um, in a lot of a lot of different instances. And we went away to, from it towards the end of the season. And then um, our new pitching coordinator, Matt Zaleski, approached me during the fall. League. He was like, hey, how do you feel about turning, like getting rid of the sinker and starting with a cutter? And that's just been a game changer too. So now it's a little bit better against those righties because that's really what's giving me a lot of trouble is um, facing a variety, not getting ahead in the count and then letting them kind of be comfortable. And nobody really does damage off me this year it is a lot of just singles, um, like hard hit driven balls, um, in the gaps and things like that. And so if I can get them kind of on their heels at the beginning, that's what changes. And then being able to finish off with a slider or, um, throwing a wrinkle as a cutter, that's, uh, really the difference between successful and unsuccessful outings. So is the cutter then a primary pitch or a primary pitch against righties and the sinker is still there or, or sorry, the four seamer is still there or how do you arrange your pitches then? Yeah. So I throw four seams really heavily. Um, and that's, that's still in the mix for the righties. Cause, um, for me, I have a pretty good end zone resiliency for, for that four seam. And so I use that basically the way I'm using it right now to attack guys is establish a four seam or a cutter in the zone and then kind of working, like showing them that pitch and then working the other pitch later in that bat. 
uh, and then kind of finishing guys off with sliders, or if we see something in the scouting report, throwing those, but it's kind of slowly moving into, I would say a secondary type pitch um, with equal usage for that in the slider against righties. So when it comes to like adding a pitch, like the cutter or shifting to it. uh, So it, it sounds like there wasn't like a lengthy, adjustment period to where like you had to maybe go through a little bit of failure or trust that like, Oh, it's not ending up where I want to. I feel uncomfortable throwing this. Was it pretty, pretty sudden in terms of getting the results that you wanted and the results that Matt said you might be getting. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, one of the nice things with the fall league is you can kind of control as how you roll things out. And so we were working on the cutter for about two weeks before I actually threw it in game. And so we had a lot of time to, figure out some of the wrinkles and smooth it out. Um, because when I first started throwing it, it was just, it was a cutter that was moving like a sinker. I was like, all right, what's going on. Um, so it took a couple of weeks to figure it out. But then when we did roll it out in games, yeah, it's just been really successful. Cause I think it, again, just adds that wrinkle and kind of something that's a lot more effective against those righties that they're not used to seeing from a lefty a lot. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of cool to just see it plug and play pretty much immediately. This kind of gets to the question I was thinking, you know, maybe to start with was, you know, eighth round pick, uh, senior signing out of Liberty. And then uh, now you're here in the Arizona Fall League on on a pretty good role. How have you changed as a pitcher? And I guess the cutter would be one of them, but like what's, you know, in terms of uh, velocity gains or mechanically, you mentioned the rubber, you standing on the extreme side of the rubber, like uh, what have you changed? What, you know, what have the White Sox added? What have any like coaches, uh, whether inside the organization added as you've gone along or. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, so Liberty has been, was really cool because it gave me a chance to just get a lot stronger, face really good competition. Um, and that's really where uh, you could say the career started to go in the right direction. Um, and so when I got drafted, one of the main things was, getting stronger, but in a more explosive way. And so, um, Gage Crossgrove, our strength coordinator, um, has been awesome working with him, trying to just move faster. Um, so in terms of velo gains, uh, my average has gone up about a little over three miles an hour since I got drafted. Um, so sitting right around averaging 95, which <clears throat> my coincidentally, I never hit 95 until Liberty. Uh, so it's been cool just kind of seeing that trajectory going up. In terms of how I, I guess, mentally approach the game, I'm a lot more relaxed and try not to ride the highs and lows as much anymore. So um, just, you know, as a competitor, you want to have like that dog mentality. You want to go out and like put everything on the line every single time. And I kind of learned the hard way last year, a little bit of that can be really mentally exhausting and challenging when it doesn't go your way, because, you know, you're being rolled out there too, sometimes three times a week. So it's like, you keep going out, you keep going out. It's like, all right, how can I bring intensity without going over the top? And so, um, something that I consistently do is like, I throw the LeBron bag as hard as I can. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of like my trigger of, before, when I when I first got drafted, I would just be like super intense from the get go. Then calling my name, hey freighters in the game. Oh, like I gotta go. And then now it's like, all right, I'm relaxed. I'm feeling my body. As soon as the rosin bag goes down, that's when everything clicks. And then it's a much more controlled um, aggression. So I would say those are kind of the kind of the big things. And then um, really just getting more of a feel for what's it looked like to be a pitcher rather than just a thrower. And understanding my body and say, hey, okay, what are my limits like? how much can I push it and things like that. And just, I I would say just maturing as an individual and as a player. Yeah. For those who haven't seen your, uh, your, your pre-mound routine or like, you know, between your warm-up pitches and then taking the mound, you step behind the mound and where most guys pick up the rosin bag, juggle it a couple of times and then drop it. You slam it down kind of like a, a ground LeBron, like LeBron tosses the chalk in the air to get the big cloud. You, you uh, slam it down. And it's almost like, I wondered if it was like an intimidation thing, like a magician thing, like poof, I'm here. Uh, Cause it kind of has <laughs> yeah. that effect of just the chalk spreading. So I was really curious about you know, how that started, but it, it does make sense because I imagine if you're trying to go for effect and it was like a wet night where you didn't get the ro- the chalk, the chalk spread you wanted, that it might be a little <laughs> bit disappointing. So, but it, it does yeah. have a pretty cool effect. So I guess did somebody pitch that to you in terms of like, here's something I do, or did you just find that uh, by accident? How did you stumble upon that? Yeah. So it was actually, while I was at Liberty towards the end of the season, um, I was trying to figure out like, all right, how am I adult? How, like, how can I be a dog consistently, you know, be really aggressive. And so at Liberty, I used to get slapped in the chest 
like right before I went out and I'd run out and I'd do whatever. And it was just one game where I was really hyped up and I was really just like, I, I, I want to, like, I want to kill these guys. And I threw it down and I was like, man, that's really good. Like, let's go. And so I did it. And then I came off the mountain. I was like, that's a really just kind of like naturally I was like, man, that's a really good trigger for me. Of like, Hey, this is the way to lock it in. And then all my teammates were like, dude, that was so sick. You know, like, like it's just so intimidating. And so I think having, I definitely view it as having an edge a little bit of like, it's a little bit of telling myself, Hey, I'm ready to go. But it's also telling batter like, Hey, I'm not messing around. Like I'm here, I'm here to come for you. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes announcers, maybe they're looking at their notes and reading a promo and saying they miss it, but the ones who see it uh, as they're coming into the inning are, yeah, especially the road uh, announcers who are like, wow, what's gotten this guy? So it does, <laughs> for people who are unfamiliar, I, I think uh, at least put something else in your mind besides hitting you, which is maybe you know, something you want as a pitcher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like going into the off season, you have like one week left. Uh, what does your off season look like? Do you stop throwing? Do you do other things? Hobby, side pursuits, uh, what's going on? Yeah, uh, each offseason is a little different this year since we are starting or since we're still playing so late in the year. Um, I'll probably take about three weeks off. Um, I'm actually really excited. My mom and I are going to road trip out from here over to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live. And so we're going to stop at some national parks for about a week and do some really cool things out there. Um, so that's going to be really Which fun. Then, so I think we're going to stop by the Petrified National Park um, or the Petrified Forest, uh, Black Canyon, um, the one in West Virginia, I think it's like something Gorge. And there's two more on the list. I can't remember them. Um, okay. Oh, Mesa Bear Day and one more. But uh, yeah, just kind of hitting, hitting all the mountains and getting to view the country, which is going to be really fun. Um, but yeah, so I'll take about three weeks off and then I'll get back at it and I'll be lifting that whole time. I don't really usually take time off of um, like, prepping the body and everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's honestly really nice. So I do this in season and I do it out of season, but, um, I actually help, uh, run a digital marketing agency and just kind of work remote. And so that's been really nice for me to have a way to keep my mind off baseball in some ways. Um, and like, okay. feel like I'm being really productive in the off season and, and working that. So it's called the deca digital and just me and my brother work on that together and it takes up a lot of time, but in a really good way. So do that and hang out with family and that's about it. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of Declan Cronin. Uh, there's a story about him uh, getting called up and like having to answer emails for the pitch lab he works at in the off season. Cause he's still on the team and still, you know, still on the corporate email. So every morning it's in the habit of just, you know, uh, triaging emails as he, as he sees fit. So it's always funny for the guys who are either in the minor leagues or on the verge of being like an up down guy uh, that they still have to, you know, they still might have a, a, another job that they're tending to because you have to get through the full season somehow. Like you only get paid for uh, six months of it. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was funny when Declan was in uh, Birmingham this past year, we talked about, Oh, like, what coffee did you work at this week or, you know, this morning and stuff like that. Cause yeah, he's, um, working for Tread athletics, which is crazy. So, uh, and then like one other question, since you mentioned it, uh, with a new pitching coordinator, cause Everett Tiford left during the season to become Auburn's pitching coach. Like who are your guys? I would say in terms of, um, you know, inside the organization, outside the organization, we have coaches, but you know, people who have been either somebody who's good at, you know, reminding you of your keys or introducing new concepts or, you know, giving you the feedback that you need to hear one way or another. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Matt Zaleski, he's been great. Uh, I haven't gotten to work with him too much in season, but this past off season, since he lives in Charlotte, we worked pretty closely together before I got hurt and he's been awesome just to bounce ideas off of. And he's really knowledgeable in a lot of the metrics, um, and analytics stuff. And so, um, I'm a little bit of a nerd with that as well. And getting to bounce ideas off of him of, Hey, like, what's this look like? What, what tilt should I be looking for? And having a lot of confidence going to him of, like just knowing that he's done his research and if he doesn't have the answer, he goes, finds it and comes back, which has been awesome. Um, Donnie Veal has also been a really good resource for me, especially on the mental side. Um, he's just a really, really knowledgeable and wise, uh, coach who's been, you know, he's been in the big leagues for several years and getting to pick his brain. Yeah. And fellow lefty. Yeah. Yeah. So getting to pick his brain on like, Hey, how, 
how do I handle this failure? How do I go about a full season and um, just like really try to improve every day while also taking care of my body and giving myself rest. And so um, those two guys are really two of the primary sources I go to. Um, it's been honestly, all of the pitching coaches have been great. Like Danny Farquhar this past year, uh, he was great just in terms of like that balance of family and, and baseball. And then John Eli, he's uh he's awesome, super high energy guy. And so he's always going to be in your corner. Like anytime I need to pick me up, like I know John Eli, Hey, like what's good, whatever, whatever. He's like, dude, you're the best pitcher that's ever lived. So he's great too. So <laughs> yeah, it's funny talking to pitchers five years ago, there might've been a few that were, you know, knew their numbers, knew their, you know, analytic data, you worked with rap sodos and stuff in the, you know, in labs. And now like, basically I was talking to Danny Farquhar and he says like, there is no persuading anymore when it comes to uh, telling guys what the data is saying, what they should throw or so what they should try doing uh, what works for them, what works for them against certain hitters. And uh, it, it's, it's nice because like, you know, it's as somebody who was on the outside looking at that stuff and sometimes you ask a question, then you get like, I don't know. That's the first time you're telling me about it. And now everybody knows how their stuff works better than I could ever uh, from the outside. And so it's just fun to ask like, how do you do this? You know, what are you doing now? What were you doing before? I have a hunch, but oftentimes my hunch is wrong. And I like people tell me like, here's how you're wrong. Cause that's always uh, fun to hear. Yeah. I like it. It's, it's fun uh, that everybody's kind of on the same wavelength now when it comes to discussing pitches, I think hitters are now coming along too, to where like uh, they understand that they have to keep up a little bit better. It's more of an arms race, but then rather a uh, action reaction type thing. So you, you can, yeah. I guess you can enjoy the edge while it lasts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, man, it is such a fascinating game now of like what you're talking about an arms race. So you, like now hitters are going to the launch angle because for a long time, you know, pitchers are chasing ride. And so now like you'll have guys that five years ago, if you throw a fastball at that location with that movement, it doesn't get touched. And now guys are hitting doubles and hitting like pitches really hard. And it's, it's interesting to see that evolution. And like, even from when I got drafted to now of like, I <laughs> there's been several pitches. I would like throw a fastball up in it and I throw a fastball up and out. And be like, How did he even like, get to that? Because I'm not used to guys adjusting like that. Um, and so now you see like sinkers coming back and you see like everybody has throws a slider for, it seems like 50% of the time, just because like, as hitters evolve and get better, pitchers have to evolve and get better too. Like to your point, that objective feedback, it's like, well, you know, like he got out. It's like, well, there's a you know 97 exit velo. Like these guys are barely in this pitch. Even if you're not getting burned by it yet, let's see how we adjust. And just having like, like we were talking about with Danny from cards, no longer a, oh, I think we could do this. It's like, Hey, this is what's not working. This is what is working. Let's lean into this. And let's adjust that because that's literally what like the data is telling us. So I love it. Yeah. When he was a, he talked about when he was a player and he tried to make suggestions or make suggestions to the coaching staff, they would say, no, it's, it has to be fastballs down. It has to be fastballs down. You know, that's where you yeah. don't get hurt. And now, now it's more, there's no pushback anymore. If you know, you go through a certain sample size and you know, the, the bats are telling you something. So it's uh it, it's fun because on the outside we can see it, but you know, on the inside, uh, as you're going through it, like you're actually, you know, having to respond to that as well. So it's uh it, it's fascinating and uh it, it's cool to hear when players are aboard. So um so next yeah. year, I imagine like do you have a plan for next year yet, or is it show at spring training, uh see you know how you're working before getting an assignment for Birmingham or Charlotte or what have you? Yeah, that's probably most likely what's going to happen. Um, so just put my head down in the off season, get out to spring training and uh, see what happens. You know, um, <laughs> I think it's honestly kind of nice to not have any say in that in a lot of ways, because it's like, all right, I'm just going to go put my best foot forward, try as hard as I can. And at the end of the day, like whatever happens, happens. So. No, the, the uh, good news is like with the White Sox, you know, one of the benefits of struggling right now up top is like a lot of opportunities like Lane Ramsey, 26 year old rookie last year, you know, uh, Cronin was 25 when he made his debut. So a lot of opportunities, if you can, you know, keep your head down. So uh, I suppose that's the best attitude to have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a really exciting time. I think to be a minor leaguer in the White Sox, it's like, if there's time to make it, it's now. So. All right. Well, uh, Best of luck finishing out the Arizona Fall League. Have a lot of fun on your road trip. And uh, I imagine we'll start seeing you in spring training next year on uh, some web streams or on uh, broadcast, and we'll follow you from there. Catch up. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Jim. That will do it for this Sox Machine podcast. Fantastic conversation, especially if you are a pitching nerd with Jim Margulis and Frazier Ellard. 
White Sox pitching prospect. That was a fantastic conversation. It's always fun to have Jim Callis back on the show talking about the Chicago White Sox farm system and their player development. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you're new to the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And you can follow us on social media. We're on all the platforms at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on those platforms as well at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We just had our Sox Machine Town Hall presentation for our Patreon members in which they get to learn a little bit about the back end of Sox Machine, our achievements in 2023, and what we are planning to do in 2024 as we are going to be planning more community events for the upcoming calendar year. And for our Patreon members, they get the inside track as far as being able to go to those events and get all the latest updates. So if you do enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by signing up at patreon.com slash Machine. Monthly plans start at $2 or you can save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all of things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com